holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra. As always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly evening to you. Goodly evening to you too. Um, another evening one. What did people feel about that in the end? Did you get much feedback on it being an evening event? Uh, I don't know. I think some people were happy they got the podcast on a Sunday evening. Some people mm. said, no, I want to listen to the podcast on a Monday morning, as if somehow we had made listening to it on a Sunday evening mandatory. Compulsory. Compulsory. It's not. You can listen to it whenever you want. Regardless of when we record it, you can listen to it whenever you want. But I get it. It's, you know, perhaps it's tempting if it's there. And you're kind of going, well, will I listen now? Or will I leave it till the morning? But I'd like to listen now, but, oh, it's there. It's there. So I don't know. Look, we'll do it again. I'm going to put it out again tonight. People can have it on a Sunday night. And, uh, and uh, they, you know, they can do with it what they will. They can listen to it on Sunday and again on Monday if they like. How about that? Why not? And Tuesday too. Why stop there? Just sure. keep going. Listen to a week. I mean, this might be a good one to listen to because it was a, a hell of a, an Arsenal performance. It sure was. I mean, how was your Sunday? Like, you know, would yeah. you swap this as a good Sunday? Well, look, ordinarily I don't like an early kickoff. You know, that's really early, isn't it? Midday for a football yeah. game. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, our American listeners would have been up if they're on the West Coast. I don't know what hour. Probably didn't bother going to bed. They'd be staying but, awake, yeah. Yeah, but um, I so ordinarily I wouldn't be a fan of it, but in, on this occasion it was great because it just set me up to have a great day. From that point on, nothing could go wrong. I had a spring in my step. Oh wow! Okay, cool. That's good. Yeah, I think it was a good day all round. Even though it was a twelve o'clock kickoff, you're going got a lot to do in the morning before the game is on. You know, you got to walk yeah. the dogs, you got to have the breakfast, you got to do all this down the other, and then. The game is at 12, and it's like, whew. But, you know, it sets up the rest of the day very nicely. I roasted a chicken, and right. it was delicious. Yeah, they uh, often are. They, they often are. They often are. This was a good chicken. Thank you, chicken, for giving your life for my deliciousness. I appreciate way, it. Yeah, go on. Did I ever tell you that... Remember I said I met a pig a few weeks ago? I vaguely remember that, yeah. I, I said I met a pig. Oh, yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone from... A listener to the show... Um, I can't remember their name, sorry, got in touch with me and sort of pleaded with me to turn vegetarian based on my encounter with the pig. Oh. He was like, I, he was like, I can see that there is part of you that feels bad for the pig, that you were eating pigs and met the pig. And they, they yeah, they were, they were like, there's a, you know, it was like when Luke sees a bit of good in Darth Vader. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> it was that kind of thing. Anyway, I, I appreciated the message, but... 
it hasn't worked. I still think chickens and pigs are delicious. Okay, well, fair enough. Look, we're not here to preach the uh, joys of meat eating or not meat eating or, you know, even veganism or whatever. We're not here to do any of that. We're here to, to talk about football and to enjoy what was a really, really good Arsenal performance. And I would say, James, you know, we've been kind of waiting for this performance to to manifest itself, for this group mm. of players to get it together, to be pretty good at the back and to be really good up front. And I think that's what we were today. I know we conceded a goal. It was a bit sloppy and uh, and everything else. But I think just in general terms, what we did uh, to prevent Fulham from having the kind of chances that pretty much every other team has had this season is a is a progression. And we scored five excellent goals in the process away from home at 12 o'clock, a noon kickoff on a Sunday after playing at whatever time it was on a Thursday in Azerbaijan. I think that that constitutes a good day's work for Arsenal, for Unai Emery, for the players and for all of us. We didn't do so. anything, but like, you know. <laughs> well, no, we, we watched it. You know, that was our part. Yeah. But I think that is probably the most satisfying performance of the season. Um, when you take into account all those factors that you've mentioned, it was away from home. It was a London derby, albeit one of the one of the friendlier ones that you might get. I just thought there was so much to like about it. And to be honest, the fact that we were pegged back at half time, which was really annoying at the time, but the way we responded to that in the yeah. second half, I mean, we shouldn't have been worried, I guess, because we've been such a second half team this season. But that second half that we then subsequently put together, you know, Fulham had their moments in the first half, but after the break, we were in complete control. And yeah, some of the football we played, some of the goals we scored. It was just a really terrific afternoon. It really was. So tell me about team selection. Were you surprised by any of it? I was. Yeah. I, uh, I was particularly surprised by the centre-backs, I think. Uh, I know Socrates played in the week, but I thought he would be back in for this game, um, perhaps alongside Rob Holding, uh, but it was Holding and Mustafi, so mm. that caught me a little off guard. And then going forward, you know, we weren't to know, I suppose, that Meza Ozil was going to have a, a back spasm and not be available. But yeah. seeing Welbeck, Iwobi and Mkhitaryan in the starting eleven um, was a surprise. And then, of course, seeing the shape uh, you know that we lined up with was another one I was expecting to see probably Danny Welbeck out wide and, and yeah. said he was up up top in a front too yeah that was really quite interesting I know he did drift wide he was more drifty than Lacazette Lacazette held his centre forward position but but Welbeck you know when I was looking at it at the start I was going is this four is this four four two could it, could it be four four two look where Welbeck is well, where exactly is he playing uh, you know Wobie's on the left Mkhitaryan's on the right Hang on a minute. He's not playing Welbeck as a... No, he's not playing Welbeck as a 10. I have that kind, thought. <laughs> it's kind of a 4-4-2. This is, this is fantastic. And I think what's really interesting about the fact that he has gone that way, and he did confirm it afterwards. You know, he said this is the, the first time he played with a clear 4-4-2. You know, what's interesting is the fact that he played Lacazette and Welbeck rather than Lacazette and Aubameyang. Now, part of that might have been the fact that uh, Aubameyang was sick during the week and maybe wasn't 100% in the build-up to the game. But, you know, everyone's going, how does he get Lacazette and Aubameyang in the same team? How does he do it? Well, he's not going to play 4-4-2, is he? He does. He plays 4-4-2 and he doesn't pick Aubameyang. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's just a curiosity of, of the way the team was set up today. 
Yeah, it was, but I thought that there was a kind of logic to it. I mean, I think Tim Stillman has written about this on, on Ask Blog, about Welbeck and Lacazette being a very natural partnership. They always seem to combine very well. And I know, you know, we think that of Aubameyang and, and Lacazette too, but, you know, it's hard to argue with Welbeck getting a start. I think he's been in pretty good form whenever he's been called upon, and likewise for the likes of Iwobi. So mm. it was a starting eleven that made... A lot of sense, but I have the same feeling as you of looking at it as a four four two and being so hesitant to confirm it was a four four two because I'm so conditioned to believe that that is a thing of the past, you know, yeah. especially as far as Arsenal are concerned. Yeah, um, and it seemed to be really effective. And I suppose the reason that we're able to play four four two is that we played two midfielders who do protect well. Shaka has his issues, but who are seemingly deep lying midfielders. You know, Shaka yeah. and Torreira, they provided a lot of support for the back four and a, a decent kind of blockade in front of them. I suppose, like the old Arsenal teams which played 4-4-2 had, you know, Vieira and Petit, that kind of model. Yeah. We had two of those types of central midfielders and that, I suppose, is what contributed to Aaron Ramsey starting on the bench. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, Torreira, I thought, was particularly impressive. I, you know, I was looking at the stats after the game before I was uh, doing up the player ratings for, for Arsblog News and... I was looking at Xhaka's defensive contribution. It was quite good, actually. You know, he made some tackles and interceptions and won his duels. But I thought there was something about Torreira that was really interesting today in that he he brings things to the midfield that we've been missing. There's an urgency to his game. He's snappy in the tackle. He's energetic. He chases people down. He's not afraid to actually get forward as well if he needs to. I think that's an interesting part of it as well. But, you know, you can just see how with a bit more time in the team and everything, else you know he he is or has the potential anyway to really grow into uh the the kind of midfield player that we've been crying out for for a long time yeah i thought he was excellent today i thought this was his best performance in an arsenal shirt and uh there was there was loads to like about it. I agree he was tenacious, but he was also really good on the ball. There were a couple of instances where his close control in tight spaces was very impressive. I thought his positioning was good. I thought he was very physical. You know, he put in some meaty challenges and rode some meaty challenges too. He took a really bad knock at one point, actually, didn't he? There was a, a yeah. guy who I think made contact with his knee. It looked pretty nasty, but, uh, you know, soldiered on through that and finished the game, I think, as one of our more advanced midfielders almost. Once again, Doozy came on he was playing quite regularly in the final third which shows he can kind of do it all really you know he's, he's very good technically um, and yeah this was a really good performance from him and Shaka you know in the early part of the season there was a lot of criticism of Shaka. he looked vulnerable I thought he did look a lot more secure today with Torreira alongside him yeah I would agree I'd agree you know it worked it looks like a combination that has the 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 possibility of working if they if they stick together and they get games together I think you know there's the potential for that to to really become the the bedrock of our our midfield so uh, you know we know that Xhaka is somebody who who Emery really likes in terms of what he does with the ball but you know he's also got some other duties and I thought he did those he did those pretty well but you know you could look throughout the team today and say yeah he was good he was good he was good he was good. Yeah, they they were all good. I mean, there's no, yeah. I don't really see anybody being singled out, or there's no need to single anybody out for for any kind of criticism today because of the way that we responded. You know that that goal that you um, referred to as annoying in the in the uh, the build up just to the end of the first half. Anyway, I was looking at it going, ah, oh, that is a bit annoying. But I didn't I didn't feel like you know the way sometimes a goal can feel like. 
a, a stab in the heart. Yeah. This did not feel like a stab in the heart. And I don't know if that was just misplaced optimism on my part, but I d- it didn't feel like, you know, based on the way the game was going, you know, you're sort of half composing a halftime tweet going, wow, that's as well as we played all season. And then they mm. score and you go, well, I'm not I'm not sending that now. But, you know, the, the rest of it is still true in terms of how we performed and how we played. No, I felt the same. And I, uh, you know, we do tend to grow into games. And one thing that's interesting is given how many players played on Thursday and then again today, and the fact that the fixture list has been quite relentless over the past few weeks, is that I didn't really feel we looked tired at any stage today. Um, I felt we looked, you know, fitter and stronger. And I know it's early in the season, but it does feel like whatever it is that Darren Burgess is doing there, the conditioning of the players, you know, they... They really met the challenge really well. And as the second half wore on, I know we had fresh legs from the bench, but, you know, we just looked almost stronger and stronger. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that also speaks to Emery's squad management. I think he's played it really cleverly and really well in the last few weeks. You know, he's had the, the Carabao Cup and the Europa League. He's maybe not rested as many as people expected or wanted in those games but what he's done is he's he's managed to balance his team I think quite well on all occasions and I think we're now approaching a point where people who were out in the cold a few weeks ago you know hadn't started hardly a single game people like Danny Welbeck uh, are now feeling like an important part of the squad and yeah. he's kind of expanded his roster of players from 11 to sort of 15 or 16 you know Rob Holding is another one Bernd yeah. Leno albeit to an extent, by necessity. Alex Awobi. Alex Awobi. These players who've come in from the outside of what had been the starting eleven and are now playing major roles. And it feels like he's getting to grips, not just now with the first team, but with a group of about 15 or 16 mm. players that he can rely upon. And, and that's a real strength too, because we're going to need that over the course of the campaign. I think what was interesting to me watching this game was that it, it reminded me of that spell in the Chelsea game. Remember where we... We found a lot of space with the fullbacks. Mm. It was uh, the right fullback. It was usually Bellerin and Mkhitaryan. And this time it was down the left-hand side, whether it was Welbeck getting down there, Awobi or Monreal overlapping. We had a lot of success down that left-hand side, cutting the ball back, which Fulham dealt with until they didn't. But, mm. you know, there was there, there was something to, something to really like about the way that we were able to find that space. We had the energy to get in behind. It felt tactical in a way, in the way that it did against Chelsea where you were looking at it going, okay, we can really see what he's trying to do here. He's trying to uh, pull the fullbacks and then, you know, get the balls in around the penalty spot or to the edge of the uh, the six-yard box and see who's there. You know, we could have scored a number of times before we actually did. And it was that kind of a move that that uh, opened the scoring Lacazette uh, on the end of a pass from Monreal, who got a pass from Iwobi, you know, who dr- driven down that left-hand side. Uh, fantastic touch and finish from Lacazette. Yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? We've said a couple of times in recent weeks, maybe his first touch isn't always what you would hope it Mm. to be, but this was the perfect first touch and a brilliant spin and finish. I think everybody kind of assumed, probably including the goalkeeper, he might go to the far corner there, but drilled it into the near post. And, you know, that that combination between not just uh, Iwobi and Monreal, but Welbeck too on that left-hand side gave us a real threat on that wing. And actually... One of, you know, one of the things that's been a bit of an issue for this team going forward in recent weeks has been the, the wide combinations not quite clicking, you know, with Aubameyang and Ozil out there, but perhaps not looking too natural. But in this game, we had uh, Iwobi and Monreal on the left and Mkhitaryan and Bellerin, who, 
you know, were so key to that Chelsea performance you mentioned uh, on the right-hand side. And it just meant that there seemed a bit more coherence about the way we attacked, you know, the way we overlapped. It, it made sense. And, you know, there was a point about 25 minutes in where they flashed up a stat on the screen and it was something like Fulham attempts eight, Arsenal attempts one. And I couldn't believe it because it felt like we were the more dangerous mm-hmm. attacking team. And actually, in the course of the game, I think Fulham had 21 efforts on goal to our nine. But it was the it was the quality of the chances we created. Yeah. And the reason, you know, it's one of those things where stats can be a bit misleading. Because even though we weren't getting shots off, we were getting players into really dangerous positions in the final third. And there were a few cutbacks before that Lacazette goal, like you mentioned, that, that could, have been, could have been goals, you know, if they'd been half a yard either way. So... It was a really promising attacking performance and it's funny, isn't it? Without Aubameyang, without Ozil, it, it just uh, it clicked. It seemed to make a bit more sense, which is kind of what we've been seeing in recent weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think the, the... How would you brand a lot of the Fulham attempts on goal? Speculative, I Certainly. think, would be a good way of describing those. You know, it wasn't like the other games where our defence is getting pulled apart, where we've got a player clean through one-on-one with the goalkeeper where he takes a shot, we make a save, or he doesn't control it, whatever. You know, the the quality of the chances that Fulham had, I I don't even know if you could call them chances. They were just attempts on goal. So Mm. they weren't particularly uh, of high quality, and that was obvious. You know, the one that they did have was right before the halftime when we did get pulled apart a little bit, and Monreal pass was cut out, and they uh, gave it to Sherla, and he went through and scored. But I don't think we need to dwell on the goal that we conceded today, you know, in a game that we won 5-1. I think the focus has got to be on what we did in that second half. And, you know, for for a lot of teams, and you'll hear it said on commentary and punditry, just before halftime is the worst time to concede a goal. It's a boost for the team that has just scored because you're you're uh, all of a sudden you're back in the game. You know you've damaged the perhaps the morale of the team that you're playing against. You've just scored. The response that we showed in that second half I know there was a late flurry of goals, but we came out. What what minute was the second Lacazette goal? I should look I at the live. I was just about to check. Here. It must have been. It must have been pretty sharpish. Forty nine minutes apparently. Forty nine. So. Yeah, I have it here on the on the live blog. Um, yeah, it was just after actually Hector Bellerin made the keeper uh, save a, a very good shot. That was a fantastic save. Wasn't it, it really was. It really was a, a really great save. And I think we when we're talking about saves, there was one very early on, wasn't there? From from uh, Leno, who made uh, a really, really fine save because it was the opening two or three minutes. Yeah, it was deflected. He put his hand up and put it just around the post, you know, and moments like that, you know, people talk about the, you know, the goalkeeper saving you 12 or 15 points a season, whatever it is. But what they can do is they can, they can, well, not change the trajectory of a game, but prevent the trajectory of a game changing, right? Because if Fulham go 1-0 up after two or three minutes, you know, who knows, you know, the way that things go with players. So it was a fantastic save from him, and I think he's come in and done very well uh, since uh, since Czech picked up his injury. So some credit to him. But Lacazette, you know, he's a confident player. You can see that this guy that's playing this season is a lot different from the Lacazette that played last season, I think, just in terms of how he feels, how he feels about his place in the team, his place in the squad. You know, he obviously feels a bit more at home because he's been there a year. You know, he went over, he celebrated the first goal, didn't he, with Aubameyang? You know, Mm. there's a real, there's a feeling within the squad that 
um, maybe we haven't seen for quite a while. Yeah, and I don't think that was only evident in that moment with Aubameyang. I mean, I think it was after the fifth goal, there was a, a huddle of players and, you know, Shaka was kind of leading it. He was captain on the day and you could just see the, the camaraderie. And again, at full time, you know, there was clips of Aubameyang and Lacazette and Gendouzi mm. having a laugh, you know, enjoying it. And uh, it does feel like the mood at the club has changed dramatically. I mean, nine consecutive wins, which is Oof. what we have, will do that for you. <laughs> when is the last time we won nine in a row? It might have been the start of the... Was it the season when we bought Mesut Ozil? Remember we lost that game to... Um, we lost the game to Aston Villa at the start of the season and everyone went mental because we had only bought yeah. Flamini. And yeah. <laughs> it was all it was all it all felt terribly wrong and then we bought Mesodozil. But I think around that time we went on maybe a ten game, eleven game winning run as a mm. not a response to to bringing in Ozil, but it it was uh it was back then. That's the last time I can really remember us going on that kind of a run. So um Yeah, I think November 2017. Right. Oh, no, 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 sorry. That was Man City. <laughs> I, I, <it's> a <laughs> That's a completely different team. It was an article that came out. I'm desperately trying to Google it, but I can't find anything. I mean, no, I can't remember it, that's for sure. And that, you know, of course, results help. And Emery has spoken, as much as he's spoken about performances and about style of play, he has spoken about wanting to introduce a winning mentality. And you can't knock him. I mean, after the first two games, which were kind of a nightmare start in some respects, they really have responded brilliantly and the results have been very good. And this was this was a day where the performance matched the result. Absolutely. You know, they were both as good as each other. Yeah. But, but just to come back to that Lacazette goal, brilliant hit. Um, you know, he's such a great striker of the ball. We've seen that on several occasions already this season. He hits it so well. Arsene Wenger would probably say he's got small feet or something like that. <laughs> small feet, no back lift. <laughs> but he really does, you know, get some power there. And when you when you least expect it sometimes. And interesting as well, it was a, a flicked on header from Danny Welbeck. Yeah. I think I spoke after the last game about how he gives you a, a, that option. You know, we haven't really got a striker apart from him who you'd, you'd back to win a header, you know, with a defender backing into him. So, I think that's a, a nice option to have and they combine well but it's a great hit and I think he just caught the keeper a bit off guard there yeah they were talking on BT weren't they about how oh the keeper a bit of a howler from the yeah. keeper I don't think it I was harsh I thought that was really harsh you know he did well I think to get a, a hand to it it's one of those where when you see a keeper get a hand to a shot you go oh he probably should have done better there but that's probably that's us just being used to Ospina um, you know sometimes the shot is really good and really into the bottom corner you know he hit it he hit it early he hit it hard it bounced so I wouldn't put too much blame on the keeper there I'd like to give the credit for that goal to uh, to Lacazette so we're 2-1 up and then we make a couple of substitutions um, Welbeck came off for Obama Yang he didn't look that happy did he Danny Welbeck at coming off Apparently he had some sort of injury. Ah, um, ah. He was running a little bit limp just before it. And yeah, I, I'm not sure it was particularly serious because I don't think he went down the tunnel, but there was an injury involved. So um, ah. that might explain his That reaction. might be why he was unhappy, all right, yeah. Um, okay, well then, fine. That's fine. And Aaron uh, Ramsey, of course, came on as well. Well, yeah, he? Ramsey came on for, uh, was it a Wobie? I think it would have been a Wobie, yeah. 
I thought it would have been Mikatarian to be honest. I was expecting it to be Mikatarian because he had been somewhat ineffective up mm. to that point. But, uh, you know, he was fresh at least. And I think, uh, you know, keeping him on was actually quite sensible because he was fresh. And in the final stages of the game, he, he played pretty well. Um Let's mm. let's talk about this. I'm just going back through the results here. I'm going back to 2013, 14, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 in a row. 3, 3, 3, 3. And actually, we won 10 in a row. One of them was a Capital One Cup game against West Brom, and I think we won on penalties. Uh, so right. that was 10 in a row. So that was at the start of September, August 21st, 2013, through to uh, October the 1st, 2013. And after that, we drew to Napoli. Um, but that was our last significant winning run uh, to match the one that we're on at this moment in time. Right. The third goal. Um, a thing of beauty. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was fucking... I watched it at the time and went, oh, wow, that's a good goal. And then I watched the replay of it. Like, okay, Sherla overruns the ball. Bellerin plays it to Ramsey. Ramsey to Lacazette. And then he he, he calls for the ball back. You can actually hear him on the commentary. He's, he's calling, Laka, Laka. He calls for it, gets it back, does this little kind of, I don't know, dinky dinks jump. It over a guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, bear in mind, he's starting in the right-back position here, isn't he? You know, it's we can't emphasise that enough. He is defending his own goals. I think he's almost adjacent with the penalty area when this move sort of kicks off, Ramsey. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so he does that little flick into Lacazette, little sort of chips it over the defender. Yeah. Lacazette hits it on the volley to yeah. Bellerin, who backheels it I'm onto watching, Ramsey's head. I'm watching it here. Here's the flick. Okay, volleys over to Bellerin. Bellerin back flick to Ramsey. A header, the second header into Mkhitaryan, who swivels, plays it in behind. There's Aubameyang to Ramsey and the finish. Holy fuck. That is an amazing goal. That really is. If there's a better team goal scored in the Premier League this season, I would be very, very surprised. I've forgotten that... uh uh, Ramsey at one point does two headers in a row in the yeah. middle of the park, you know, because he's trying to keep the thing under control and manages to do it. And Mkhitaryan, I know he said he was quite quiet, but the left-footed pass yeah. he plays on the spin to perfectly get it into Aubameyang's path is brilliant. Mm. The cross off Aubameyang's left foot is good. In fact, it's three players in the final three touches using their wrong foot to such perfect elegance. So it's Mkhitaryan's through okay, ball, Aubameyang's cross... And then Ramsey's flick, all left-footed. Oh, I mean, Jesus. Oh, it's, it's so It's good. a sensational goal. Oh, my God. It really is just... I'm, I'm just watching all the replays here again, and... Oh, my God. Oh, the flick is... I mean, look, you know, Ramsey... Uh, I know he frustrates people, but that's what he can give you. You know, those yeah. moments where you think a finish is not possible... And somehow he drags it out. Like the goal he scored at White Hart Lane a few years ago, remember? Have you seen Emery? There's a brilliant replay of Emery on the sideline uh, when the goal goes in. And he's actually, he's, it's like all of the players are his sons who have all combined to score the goal. He's so happy about it. It's just, it's an amazing piece of football. You know, from the right back Doesn't, position, right by our, our goal line all the way through. It's fucking brilliant. 
I think there's another clip of him. Uh, I can't find it now, but it shows his response during the build-up as well. So because I think he probably loved what went on down in that right back area mm. almost as much as he loved what happened in the final third. He's all about that playing out from the back and it paying off like that is is such reward for him and his methods. Yeah, you're right about Ramsey. I mean, you mentioned that goal. Of course, there was the one last season wasn't there the kind uh, of scorpion flick, yeah. back heel yeah it, you know the, the touch uh, that he produced a couple of weeks ago at the Emirates Stadium uh, to for Aubameyang to score wasn't it at the far post a yeah. little back flick you know we know he's got that in his locker and it's a real conundrum now I think what you do with Ramsey and, and what the situation is and there was some talk about his celebration was his celebration you know somehow indicative of the contractual situation because he kind of puts his hands out I think it's probably more about the the goal, to be honest with you, but uh, you know, he didn't start this game. It'll be fascinating to see, won't it, what what role he plays between now and January, given what's gone on. Yeah, it will, and you know, this is why I think when people say Ramsey should be left with the reserves, or we should never play him, or or anything else, you know, it's ludicrous. You know, I can I can understand the point of view where okay, if he's not going to sign, then you have to perhaps. Um, I don't mean marginalize him, but you have to consider the fact that you're going to need to go in a different direction. But to completely and utterly decide that Ramsey's talents are not useful in any way for this football team is absurd to me. It's just crazy. You know, he's a guy who can make a difference, who can score a goal like that. And today it was at 2-1 and it made it 3-1 and we went on to make it 5-1. But it could just as easily have been the goal that made it 1-0. You know, this, this is this is the quality that he has. I don't know if um, you know, there's there's uh, any way back for this. I did hear some whispers that perhaps they might start negotiating again, maybe. But we'll we'll just have to wait and see. But if you're Unai Emery and you're picking a team, or you're picking your 18 to play a game, whether it's against Fulham or whether it's against Manchester United or Manchester City or whoever. You know, I don't think you I don't think you can do it without Aaron Ramsey. You know, just because he's got that quality to give you something in a game, even if he's being used as a sub. Well, in some ways especially. I mean, you know, even if you can't find room for him in whatever tactical set- setup you have to start the match, what an extraordinary weapon to have in your arsenal to come on. You know, I mean, he's he's so good. Um late on in games because he's got that fitness he's got that energy he can make such a big impact we saw that today against Fulham I think casting him aside and you know leaving him to rot as some people suggest mm. I just don't think that's realistic I don't think it's an option no. and I don't know if he'll be here beyond January but until January you know he's got to be considered as part of the squad and he showed sure. that and underlined his quality today mm. I mean it was a brilliant goal the only shame is it wasn't at the Emirates Stadium because then you would have had those uh, wonderful gasps Ooh. from the crowd on the replay yeah. yeah 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 yeah. well look I think it's good as well that we can score one like that away from the Emirates as well you know they have been at the Emirates haven't they? Those are the Wilshire against Norwich and the Rositsky who was the Rositsky goal against Sunderland maybe was it or maybe I forget but I can't quite remember but you know those goals have come at the Emirates so um, okay, so Mikatarian gets a bit more involved for the fourth goal, crosses it for Bellerin, when well, a crossfield pass to Bellerin, who uh, who finds Aubameyang at the, the near post. Um, maybe this one, actually, the keeper could have done a little bit better with, but, uh, you know, it was a good turn and finish. Quite reminiscent of Lacazette's goal. 
Very reminiscent, very reminiscent. I'm just watching it again now. It's a very good ball from uh, Mkhitaryan. You know, we, we're used to him linking up with Bellerin, but not quite like that, you know, all the way across the field. But the touch from Aubameyang, mm. much like Lacazette's goal, is what makes it, you know, it's the fact that he's able to kill the ball, uh, trap it with his right and then finish off his left. Obviously, we'll, we'll get on to his second goal, but I mean, you know, anyone who was thinking, well, maybe he's uh, having a slow start to the season, you know, is he quite what we hoped? I mean, I thought this cameo really showed what he's all about, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did. Look, he came on and he did what he did what his mate did. He scored twice, you know, and I think that's uh, I think that's a really healthy part of what's going on here. I saw you talk on Twitter about the fifth goal. Um as maybe an example of what Unai Emery is trying to get this team to do because mm. it begins with a short kick out and we play it around at the back and then they put us under some pressure and we keep it and then there's some there's a little bit of a stat padding passing isn't there between Jack and Mustafi they just kind of play <laughs> yeah. you know when you're winning like 2-1 on FIFA and you just pass it back to you know your two center halves or your center half and your fullback um uh but then they kept the ball moved it to Xhaka into Ramsey, Ramsey's ball through to like or to Aubameyang was was fantastic, and that's the kind of goal that you expect Aubameyang to score, isn't it? Straight through on goal, uh, the finish was fantastic. He made it look really easy, but just great movement, great pace, great strength, uh, and a fantastic finish. And that's the kind of centre forwards goal that he's been scoring his whole career. Yeah, I loved the finish. Uh, it was one of those, it was almost the Nicholas and Elka finish, wasn't it? You know, across the goalkeeper from that right-hand side. Uh, and uh, look, it's against the Fulham side who were tired, a bit despondent. Um, but that move, it does go right back to the goalkeeper and it does involve some really nice passages of play, particularly from Granit Xhaka. He shows his value yeah. in it, you know, with a, a really nice vertical pass to kind of, I think, release it is Ramsey who sets up Aubameyang. Yeah. And Aubameyang and Lacazette, two, two shots each, Two goals. I mean, can't argue. we have been very clinical this season. You can't argue with that at all. Yeah, no, not at all. So 5-1 and probably better than any of us would have expected uh, when we looked at this fixture and we looked at the context of this fixture and the circumstances, you know, having that Europa League game away from home, uh, all that travel, Mesut Ozil, people talking before the game, you know, oh, well, look, he's got a back spasm. What a ridiculous idea it was to bring him to to Azerbaijan, which you can get, but maybe it showed that this is the kind of game that we can cope without Mesut Ozil. I don't want to make this, by the way, into something like one of those things where Ozil wasn't there, so all of a sudden we were great, which is complete nonsense. You know, that's not where I'm going with this at all, but it just showed perhaps that as a squad, you know, we're able to cope with with a key player or a big player being injured, there is plenty of attacking depth in this squad. And I think it was a really impressive performance, really impressive result. And as I said at the very start, I think this is the kind of result that not only is it a step forward in terms of how we play, but I think it really will instill a bit more belief in the players because they can talk all they want about, yeah, look, we know we haven't been playing well. Socrates was talking during the week, wasn't he, after the, the Carabag game? You know, we were lucky to keep a clean sheet. We were, you know, so they're, they're aware of this. So I think, you know, imposing your football on a game the way that they did was really, really, really positive. Yeah, I mean, on the telly, they were talking about it as a, a statement performance. And I think it is to an extent, but I think you're right. I think the main benefit is internal. I think it is for the squad. I think, you know, we saw 
how happy they looked afterwards. And we can see confidence coming back into players who just lacked it so desperately at times last season. I mean, take Alex Awobi. Yeah. You know, he didn't have the perfect game today, but some of the skills that he was attempting, you just don't know if he would have had the confidence to do that yeah, six yeah, months yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and to be honest, sometimes it came off and it was pretty beautiful when it did. He looks like a, you know, almost a different kind of player to what we anticipated. Um, and, and I think defensively, there was a lot to be encouraged about in this game. I was really worried about what Mitrovic might offer. You know, he he's the kind of striker who has given us problems in the past. In fact, he himself has given us problems in the past. And yet, I thought we managed that really very well on the day. And, you know, I'm, I'm always quick to criticise Skodran Mustafi when he when he messes up but I thought defensively this was a a much better performance from him yeah no true credit where it's due you know he was better defensively it was weirdly low pass completion Ray I was checking that I was only 68% of his passes were completed and that, that yeah which is unusual for him but you know he did I think there were the 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 measure of his performance was quite early on. They put in a dangerous ball across from their right-hand side, which came in towards Mitrovic, and Mustafi was alert. He was there. He made the the interception, the tackle in the box that he needed to make. So, you know, fair play. He, he played well. I thought Rob Holding, again, you know, I think what we're looking at here maybe is some of the younger players are really, really uh, benefiting from Unai Emery um, and the way that he's working them. I think Bellerin, I've said it before, that Bellerin this season is consistent. Iwobi is consistent. Mm. Rob Holding has come in. He's been consistent. You know, he's whether he's giving them the confidence or wh- whatever it is, the younger players are responding to the... the um, to the tutelage of Emery and the the coaches that he has at the club, uh, I think that's a really positive part of of what's happening. Because when you look at the twenty nine year olds, the Ozils, the Obamiangs, the Mikatarians, even though we've only got one of each, and that kind of uh, phraseology always makes me a bit weird, but you know what I mean. Those guys who you have an expectation that they can perform week in week out, Ramsey, uh, whatever, uh, Socrates, but the young players providing consistency and stepping up and feeling confident. You can see it in Awobi, can't you? Like if something doesn't work for Awobi yeah. this season, it's like, oh, well, I'll just go again. I'll work hard. I'll get the ball back and I'll try it again. Whereas last season, yes, it didn't quite work the same way. No, and and actually, if you look at the passing stats, Iwobi's numbers weren't great either. You know, I think he had about 70% completion. To be fair, that's not unusual for a wide player. Yeah. But one thing that struck me is that our passing numbers were generally worse than they have been in other games. And I think that's partly because we were playing more directly than we have. You know, there was not any passive possession really in this game until, like you mentioned, the last couple of minutes when we were padding our stats. Until then, we were looking quite direct and, you know, we'd play it short at the back, but then we'd look for Welbeck relatively early. And, it, you know, we read the dividends of that. It was very effective. There was a lot more thrust to our attacking play mm. and that incurred an element of risk and meant, you know, meant that some of the passing numbers weren't as pretty as they sometimes are but it made us a hell of a lot better to watch and a hell of a lot more fun going forward. I think the young player's point is a really good one. And something that I, I've thought in the past week as well is that actually 
you know, we spoke in the summer about the, the signings and we weren't sure necessarily about the quality of the players that mm. we bought. But, you know, at this point, uh, granted, it's only October, but you look at the contributions being made by the likes of Torreira, Socrates, Leno, uh, Genduzzi, And you have to say, you know, in terms of what we spent and what we appear to be getting from them, we haven't done too badly at all. No, not at all. And when you look at the league table, it's a very nice looking league table, isn't it? Uh, I know Man City and Liverpool played out a, a nil-nil draw a bit earlier on, um, thanks to Riyad Mahrez. Well done to you, mate. Um, cracking yeah. penalty <laughs> over the bar there. Um, but, you know, we're in fourth position. We're on 18 points. Liverpool are on 20. Chelsea are on 20. Man City are on 20. Like, after, after the first two games of the season, if someone had offered you that, you'd have bit their hand off. Well, bear in mind, based on our performance, I think there's a very real chance we should have taken something at Chelsea, yeah. at least a draw, and then imagine what that would do to the table. I mean, crucially as well, our goal difference in this game took us above Spurs, which is a lovely thing just ahead of the international break. Yes, it really is, because, you know, fuck Spurs. Um, so, yeah, we go into the interlull, we go into it off the back of a win, off the back of six successive Premier League wins, Um and considering the way the season started, I don't think we could ask for for a great deal more. You know, if it had been another one of those wins, James, where, you know, we'd, we'd won and kept a clean sheet, but we had been suspect defensively, I think I would have been, I would have been obviously been happy, but I think I would have been a little bit more worried than I am. You know, I like to see, I think we all like to see some signs of progression and the fact or or some evidence that that things are being learned lessons are being learned along the way and maybe it's because it was mm. just fulham but you know it was also just cardiff it was also just newcastle you know so i i think there was progression today both in terms of how we played from an att- uh, attacking point of view but specifically from a defensive point of view i think that's nearly the most pleasing thing nearly but not quite because the third goal was the most pleasing thing for me yeah I think that's a, a fair summary. Shall right. we uh, shall we call that part one? We will call that part one. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Your Mouse Jones here, one third of the Guys Next Door podcast. Now listen here. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics like the Polar Express and The Year Without Santa Claus, you could spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. They're all here on AMC+. AMC Plus is available on all your devices, so celebrate the best Christmas ever anytime, anywhere. Make sure you sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just want to remind people that if you like what we do here on Arsblog, you want to support us and uh, help us to keep all this beautiful content we make free, then you can sign up to be an Arsblog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. And in return, you get extra content, super duper extra content for just five euros a month, plus VAT if you're in the EU. If you're not in the EU, you don't have to worry about VAT. You won't have to worry about it in a few months, James, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but we do have some good stuff up there. If you like video games, I talked to Danny O'Dwyer, who makes uh, documentaries about video games, such as uh, Fallout, Rocket League, and all that. And we've got a Champions League special and other stuff coming up during the month. So uh, sign up if you like, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Right. Right. I enjoyed that Champions League one, by the way, The looking back at it the 2005 06 campaign. It was much more fun to record than I thought it was going to be. Mm, you know, because. I, I, I was hesitant to listen to it because obviously the final has such painful mm, memories. It does, but like the actual run to the Champions League. And actually, the day of the final itself and, and everything else was, was fantastic. The result of the final, not so good, obviously. But there were a lot of great memories during that Champions League season. You know, you think about Jens Lehmann against Real Madrid, that brilliant save from Raul Vieira, getting tackled by Robert Perez, you know, going to the Bernabeu, going and beating Juventus uh, at Highbury, and then, you know, holding a clean sheet with that back four. All of it was, uh, was tremendous fun. And the squirrel, of course. Of course. How could we forget? Mm. Um, so that's one definitely worth checking out if you are a Patreon member. And if you're not, become one. And yeah. then you can. You can. Uh, <laughs> uh, shall I do the first question? Yeah, why don't you? Uh, why not? I just yeah, I know it sounds just, presumptuous of just, me. But... Don't just sit in your arse. Just you know, <laughs> do a question. So, well, we've had a lot of variants on this um, about the, the formation, you know. And mm. John, who's at When John Tweet, says, we've tried several formations across different competitions. Which one is your favourite right now? And who is slash are your strikers? Who, see, I'm, I'm very much uh, a 4-4-2 guy, perhaps because I'm old and everything sure. else. But, you know... I, I've always had a, a hankering for a good old four four two, you know. And I know that we've played variants of that down the years with Arsene Wenger. You know, you couldn't necessarily say you were playing a four four two at Mark Overmars, for example, because you know he was he was sort of part of the four, but he was also part of the two. And mm. the other parts of the four were like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake, where's over? Oh, look, he's just scored. Okay, <laughs> I guess. But um, yeah, I kind of I kind of like the idea of a four four two. In the sense that it's like a bit of a, it's a bit of a throwback. I guess it'd be like going to a party and everyone's, you know, drinking Soda Stream drinks. Were you alive for yeah. Soda Stream? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not. But I'm aware of it. You know, I'm sort of culturally aware of it. <laughs> it's before my time. Uh, but <laughs> I was alive probably, but I wasn't at parties. All well, the parties I were at were probably very different. They were. Involved, like, they were so cake different. And things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Soda Stream parties, man. You missed out, honestly. The Soda Stream um, years. They talk about like the swinging sixties and everything else. <laughs> the Soda Stream years. Oh, I know. Honestly. We, the Soda Stream generation. We, mm. I, you know, I just missed out. On it. We could make but, our own cola, <laughs> but uh, you know we've used three formations in a week, haven't we? I mean, yeah. you know, it's three at the back in Europe. I and didn't then... necessarily like that. 
No, I mean it was interesting, <laughs> but we didn't we didn't look the most comfortable with it. Perhaps because we haven't really done it for a while. Um, I felt like that was almost like we had to play that to get Kolasinac in. Do you know what I mean? Because he's so dodgy as a left back, but quite good as a wing back. Um, nevertheless, the four four two, I liked it. I'm not convinced. You know, I think we had another question. Let me have a look now. Puneet Verma said, is 4-4-2 here to stay, even against the bigger opposition? No. I'm not sure that it is, to no. be honest with you. No. Uh, but Fulham, you know, it made sense to play it today, partly because they are weak defensively, so it enabled us to kind of target that. Partly because they lined up with a back three. I don't know if Emery knew they were going to do that, but it, it you know, having two strikers against three different centre-halves maybe is a bit smarter than leaving Lacazette up there to mm. fend for himself. Um, but I, I'm not looking at it and thinking, well, that's it now. We're a 4-4-2 team indefinitely. Yeah. I think Emery strikes me as the kind of coach who is going to sort of mix and match, you know, as he goes. Yeah, was this maybe the first game where you thought, okay, he's definitely chosen a formation specifically for this game? Rather than, like, trying to say, okay, I'm getting to know my players, let's play this formation that I like to play and see how they work within that. Today felt a little bit more like, okay, I know what they all can do, I know what their qualities are or their their talents are, let's play like this because I think they're going to play like that. It, it just felt a bit like that to me. I know what you mean. I mean, I think, I've mentioned this before, but I think maybe the City game is slightly the exception. You know, I felt like that was a team that was very tailored to that opposition. But this felt like he took a risk, but he felt comfortable to take that risk mm. because he knew the players. I mean, 4-4-2, we haven't really played a, a, a pure 4-4-2 Apart from that one preseason game where it was Lacazette alongside Inketia, you know, we haven't played it for a really long time. Yeah. And certainly not under Emery. So it was a bit of a gamble, but I guess you're right. I guess he felt he knew the players well enough, knew their strengths, knew their weaknesses, knew where they'd be comfortable to pull it off. And you know, what what the reason we haven't been able to play a four four two under Arsene Wenger, I think, is that we haven't had the central midfield partnership to, to sustain it, to support mm. it. And what we're all hoping is that Shaka and Torreira can be that central, or, you know, Torreira plus one can be that central midfield partnership. And today it was, but I, I don't think it's going to be 4 4 2, you know, forever. But I no. would like to see it. I'd like to see it more often. And I'd like to see it for 90 minutes with Aubameyang and Lacazette from the start. I'd really like to see that. Yeah, yeah, I, I would too. Speaking of Torreira, um, we have a couple of questions on him. Uh, mm. First and foremost, Tommy Heatley, who's at Gunnar Gom, says uh, he loves the fact that the Vieira song changed to Torreira. He said, if you both sing it on the pod, this check for 20 euros will be sent to the Peter McVeary Trust in Dublin, a great charity here in Ireland. Hope it's not too late. So he wants us to sing the Torreira song. But right. this is a charity for, the, for homeless people. And I feel like you should make that donation anyway, whether or not we sing the song. Right. Does that I, mean you're not going to sing the song? It's probably not going to sing. Well, I mean, uh, he comes I'll from Uruguay. Yeah. He's only He's five only foot five high. Foot high. Woo. Great. I mean, I thought it was going to be some variant of rhyming with uh, Unai. You know, that seemed like, you know, he came from Uruguay to play, you know. Under Unai. Unai. Yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever. But I, five foot high is great. And it means if something, you know, terrible happens and we lose Emery to, I don't know, Real Madrid or something in the future, we can keep that song. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's good to have a contingency. Yes. 
Yes, it is good to have a contingency. The other question I have here is uh, uh, from Heisenberg, who's at underscore Heisenberg underscore. And he says, who is the best holding midfielder in the league and why is it Lucas Torreira? <laughs> Look, he looks like a, a real find. And it's amazing how a player who I hold my hands up, I had never heard of prior to this summer. I had no mm. real awareness of him. Couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. It's amazing how he can come in and... and have such a, an impact and you know I, he's not even been in the starting 11 that long but he does seem to tick so many boxes of the kind of midfielder we've been after mm. for such a long time uh, and when you look at the Premier League you know there are some good holding midfielders out there you know I think Fernandinho is, is actually very very good at what he does I think Kante is brilliant at what he does but yeah. if, if 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 he can get close to those guys you know then We've got some player, and I, he, he, crucially, it's about partnerships as well, isn't it? Yeah. And he seems to fit very well next to Shaka. Yeah, I saw somebody say that he won all of his aerial jewels today. I, I saw wow. that stat doing the rounds. I don't know how many, um, but he won them all. Could have been one, hundred percent. He won actually ten thousand percent of his aerial jewels. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, like we said in the first half of the show, he's he's somebody who's bringing things to our midfield that our midfield has needed for quite some time so um, yeah look uh, may he live long and prosper our little Uruguayan Ferengi <laughs> yeah I mean maybe his, all his aerial duels were against John Seri who to be fair is sort of one of the He's few Premier League small as well isn't about he about yeah. as small as him yeah, but, is, but it, it's, is that a trend is it a growing trend in, in football that um, you know guys of the size of Kante Torreira um, uh, Seri like you say are yeah. having success in that position, I know McAuley did it and got the position named after him. But you know, generally speaking, people had this vision of, you know, the guy who's going to play in that position is going to be a shield for the back four. He's going to be big mm. and strong, and you know, all that kind More of stuff. Of a, a yeah. Matic type, yeah. Well, I, I think you know, to an extent, Barcelona kind of initiated that, didn't they? Ten, fifteen years ago, with their central midfield trio, who were all pretty diminutive but you know I think the advantage of someone like of Torreira you know his size is quite helpful to him he's got a low centre of gravity he's he's short but he's still quite broad you know mm. he's still quite stocky he's difficult to knock off the ball and he actually is pretty decent in the aerial challenges he's got a habit of even when he can't win the header he can kind of put the other guy off enough to make sure he doesn't really do anything useful yeah. with it so yeah look it's been a really strong start and I th he goes away I think he's travelling somewhere ridiculous isn't he in this international Is break he? he's going to Asia or something like that with what the hell are Uruguay playing in Asia I for? can't remember I, I seem to remember Emery saying that should we look that up South Korea it feels like a South, South Korea. Korea there you go yeah so you know he's got a, a and then Japan big flights yeah so he's got a lot of travelling to do in this break so let's hope he comes back and comes through it unscathed yeah and but you know what the thing is yeah the thing is though even if Uruguay are cheapskates and they go with an economy budget airline Torreira's going to have loads of leg room anyway that's true he's just so he tiny he doesn't need to upgrade to the fire escape seats exactly. which always worry me because I don't want the responsibility for opening that door in an emergency yeah no I mean? look none of us do but look if he gets tired he can just slip into the you know the little basket on the back of the seat he can just curl up in there <laughs> <laughs> with the magazine and the sick yeah. bag you know, exactly where's, where's Lucas where's has anyone seen him <laughs> look he's just in here 
just snoozing away in the little backseat basket thing. Yeah, look. In the pouch thing. In the pouch, yeah, like a little Uruguayan kangaroo. It's amazing. Okay, I've got a question here before you have another question. I'll go on then. This one comes from BV Boy, and we had many questions like this. Many, many, many questions along this line. And uh, he is at Spomeard. Uh, on Twitter. I'm probably saying that wrong. You probably should say S-P-O-M-E-R-D. I don't know, whatever it is. But he says, is it really on, on, or are they just teasing us? Yeah, well, what, well it depends what the it is. Do you know what I mean? I like, think it means the title, because we're only two yeah, points off the top. Okay. I'm not sure it's on. I'll, <laughs> is that sort of, am I bringing anybody down by saying that? I just... Uh, I don't even really dare to dream. Is that... F- well, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I don't think it's on. I don't think the title is on at all. But... I think y- the top four is a lot more on than I thought it was going to be. Me, I'd yeah, say that. same. Same. I think, you know, we we have shown a, a measure of character and... Um, resilience in these six Premier League games that we've won in the last little while, uh, which would lead me to be a bit more confident about our ability for it, if it is the top four, to be well and truly on, you know? Yes. And I think as well, the other part of it is, um, the other part of it is that I've completely forgotten what the other part is. What was I saying? I, don't I, got, know. I got completely distracted by a text message there. Oh, okay. In is the it middle anything of it. interesting? No, it's all about how we're having some server problems with Arsblog News, and Tom has just texted me with something that he thinks it might be, or, you know, I'm, I'm only reading the snippet of the text on the front of my phone. You know that right, one? Right, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What it's were, tantalizing. What were, what were we actually saying? What I was going to say is that. I don't think it is on in terms of the title. And I also, I, oh, I sort of... I remember, oh, before oh, I go forget on, again, yours, then. Go on. I just think we've got a bit more depth than some of the others. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just think, we, you know, if you look at our squad compared to Tottenham, for example, you know, they're very, very reliant on a number of players, a key number of players. And I think what we've seen from this squad this season is that we're... We're able to score throughout the squad. We're spreading the goals around. And I don't think we're necessarily... Like if, if Harry Kane, for example, and I'm not saying I want this to happen, but let's say Harry Kane, but. if he's gone out tonight to pick up a pizza at his local pizza parlor, and some guys come along like, like the Nihilists in the Big Lebowski, and they set upon him with some iron bars... And they bash his knee as if as if he was Nancy Kerrigan and they were Tonya Harding. There's a an old Olympics reference for many of you out there. For the Soda Stream generation. For the Soda Stream generation, for sure. Like if that were to happen to Tottenham, I think they'd be fucked. Sure. But I don't think yeah. we'd be necessarily fucked if the same thing happened to Aubameyang, for example. Well, we've got Lacazette. Yeah. And we've got well. Urente, you know, or whoever yeah. else they've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean, and, and, and what I was going to say about it being on or not is that <sighs> I'm enjoying watching Arsenal a lot this season, a lot more than I mm. have done in recent years. And I wonder how much of that is to do with my own slightly 
reduced expectations, maybe. Mm. And if I was to start viewing this as a, a title-chasing season, I fear that, you know, I'd, I'd be setting myself up for disappointment. So I don't necessarily want to move the goalposts in October mm. um, because I think, you know... I, I, we're all aiming for top four. I think most fans agree that that's what we should be looking at. And if you do see it from that perspective, it's going rather well. Mm. Um, I've got a question here. This Go is on. from Sean, who's at Brave underscore Arsenal. And what with it being two months into the Unai Emery era? He says, two months into the Unai Emery era, who has been our best player and what has been your biggest surprise? Who's been our best player? Uh, that is a good question. I think maybe Lacazette. I think I agree. I think I agree. I'm trying to think back and make sure there's no sort of bias there, sort of a recency bias, you know, mm. in terms of what's happened in the last couple of games. But I think it has been Lacazette. Yeah, um, I mean, he's, he was balance. left out, wasn't he, at the start? And then he, yeah. he, he got some chances. He played his way into the team and he stayed in the team and he's scoring, he's scoring really important goals. And you kind of, have, I don't know, you look at him and you have a bit of faith in him, you know, in terms mm. of what he can produce on the pitch. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe Lacazette. And, and then it was, what was what's was what been your biggest surprise? Um, I don't want to be negative on this. My biggest surprise is how defensively suspect we've been. But on a positive note, I think my biggest surprise, as we touched on earlier on, has been the, the, not the development, but the fact that the young players that we talked about, Holding and Bellerin and Iwobi, have come in and looked more like the players we wanted them to be under Arsene Wenger. You know, I think they're the kind of they're they're playing the way that Arsene Wenger always thought they could play, but because of everything else that was going on with Wenger and the way that the team and the message and you know his his time was at an end, and I think we kind of have to be able to look at the the performances and the and everything else uh, the players within that context that they were all affected by that in one way or another. So I think the surprise is how quickly he's got those young players believing in themselves again for me. I think that's a great shout. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about surprises and, you know, something that's uh, the thoughts that I had were about individuals, really. I think I've been pleasantly surprised by people like Alex Awobi, Matteo Ganduzzi, but you know, they kind of come under that umbrella of young players. And, you know, Arsenal became a place where people hit a ceiling. Yeah. And it felt like that was kind of uh, finite. Their potential was finite. And that once they hit, you know, 20 <laughs> league games, they kind of never really massively improved upon that. And yeah. now it feels like they are. It's like they're they're reinvigorated and suddenly they're their ceiling's been raised and, you know, they are making huge progress. So I think that's a great shout. Mm. It's a great shout. OK, here's a question from Facebook. Ben Fawcett says, I never thought I'd give a shit about the manager being passionate about a scoring, but I fucking loved it. <laughs> Those are his uh, emphasis, by the way. He sure. put it in capitals. He said, do you care about him being outwardly passionate or not? Do I care about it? I'm not sure I care about it. I think results are what matters but I think well I think two things I think sometimes it's not just passion 
I think sometimes there are instructions being relayed from uh, the sidelines that are having some impact on games. We had a question from James Lowe about uh, set pieces, you know, that the assistant... uh, Juan Casado goes out and, you know, sort of signals what set piece we're going to do. You know, there appears to be a number of prepared routines and they are controlled from the substitutes bench. That's completely new, you know, at Arsenal, something like that. Um, And then the second point to make is that although I don't, you know, I wouldn't not like Emery if he wasn't passionate on the touchline, I do like it. Like, I don't think it's necessary, necessarily. I don't think it's... uh, particularly important I don't think it changes what happens on the field but as a fan I like it I like to see that passion and you know I think there's a sort of implicit thing there about Arsene Wenger not being passionate on the touchline and I don't think that's entirely true you know we saw him be very passionate on lots of occasions but I think by the end of his time you know a certain malaise had set in and the enthusiasm of the new manager is very welcome and I think it I think maybe uh, as much as it does things for the players I think it does a lot for the fans I think the fans take a lot from it and I I, uh, I'm, I'm glad he's like that even if I can't be sure exactly how much it influences the results, you know? Yeah, sure. I like seeing him on the sideline. You know, I'm. Uh, there's only so much a manager can do, really, uh, in a packed stadium. But I do like the fact that he is talking to people throughout the game. He's giving instructions. He's gesticulating. He's, you know, you can see he's really trying to get his message across to the players in key situations as well. So, you know, maybe it's a case with, with Arsene Wenger that they knew what he wanted at all times, whereas yeah. Emery feels like he really has to to well, hammer home his point, perhaps. Maybe that's that's the thing. And look, it's a change. Like everything else, it's a change. It's something new and different. And, uh, you know, um, I, I remember United fans, didn't they go a bit crazy about Louis van Gaal? About how he never showed any passion on the sidelines and uh, and everything else. And he's going, look, me shouting at them from, you know, over 70,000, 80,000 people in a stadium, that's not the difference between winning and losing games. And you can understand that, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it appears to be working to an extent for Emery. Um, there's a fine line, isn't there? You start losing some games and you're doing all that in the sideline and it's like, well, look at this guy. He doesn't know what he is. He can't do anything from there. So, you know, it's all about results and results have an impact on that perception. But yeah, I'm, I'm all right with it. I'm all right mm. with it. I didn't fucking love it. But I was I was all right with it. Sure, you weren't in caps about it. I wasn't in caps. No, no. Uh, what about this question from Mike Wood, who's at Mike V Wood, and oh, I see what he's done. He's put two V's to make a W. He says, "Is there a way back into the starting eleven for Petr Cech now? Leno has made a big difference to our speed of play since he's come in." Um, I don't know if he. Had, do you know what's interesting? I think Leno kicks it longer more often than Petr Cech. Would that be fair? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like because Cech doesn't customarily do that, he's sort of been told, look, you've got to play it short. And so he's hyper-conscious of it and playing it short maybe more than is necessary. Mm. Whereas maybe Leno is sort of told, well, we know what you do, just do your thing. And he's a bit more relaxed about it and he's actually going long quite frequently. Yeah, um, yeah I have noticed that. I think Leno's done... Pretty well, all in all. I mean, I thought he was very good in the Europa League game. 
uh, and he had to be, you know, because we gave away a, a load of chances. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting, isn't it, after the international break? Because Leno, he's done nothing to be dropped. Let's put it like that. Yeah. But Czech is the number one. Yeah, it's been an opportunity for Leno to come in and show why we spent £22.5 million on him. So, so far, so good in that regard. He's been, mm. he's played very well. He's made some really, really good saves. Really good saves. And I'm not saying it's because Czech is bad with the ball at his feet or anything like that. But when Leno has the ball at his feet, I don't have the, uh-oh, he's got the ball at his feet kind of thing that sure. I do have with Petr Cech. You know, nine times out of ten, Cech is fine with the ball at his feet. Just sometimes he isn't. And we haven't really seen that yet with uh, with Leno. I think there was a little mistake, wasn't there, early in the... Um, early in the... Maybe the Carabao Cup game where he let yeah. the ball run under his feet and it just sort of dribbled wide. I but think it was uh, Carabao game, yeah. Yeah, you know, but... Uh, yeah, I think he, he's he's doing everything he can to take his chance. There's probably another few weeks, isn't there, for Czech to be out. So if he keeps this up, if he keeps it up, it's going to be quite difficult for for Emery to drop him. Mm, I think it is. Uh, you know, Czech was... Let's not forget, Czech had some really good performances before Leno came in, um, made some really important saves... But if, you know, it's it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because we've talked about this, you know, and I know they talked about this on the Arsenal Vision podcast too, about how once you drop check, mm. it's very difficult to get him back. You know, he's not at an age where he's going to get many more second chances. True. You know, w- once he's out the side, he's probably out. Uh, and I think his contract's up at the end of the season. So I don't know what Emery will do, but I feel like Leno has done enough you know he's done almost as much as he could do really to make Emery's choice a difficult one yeah which is all you can really ask isn't it yeah yeah you know but Emery may feel like you know the Leno's the man for the future but he's performing well in the present so why not stick with it yeah if it's if it's working now why change it um I mean, I'm just looking at the fixture list when we come back. We don't actually play till the Monday, do we? Uh, oh, Leicester. really? Oh, we've yeah. got a poxy Monday kickoff. I know. Tell me about it. Um, so it's a Monday kickoff against Leicester, and then uh, Thursday against the Europa League again in the Europa League against right. Sporting. So you know, maybe he'll rotate across that week, but in what order? I just don't know. I don't know either. If you had know. to guess, we had this before. We had the Ruffles chat, didn't we? The Ruffles bet about yeah. the Man City game. What would you What would you venture if you had to guess for, let's say, I the guess, Leicester game? I really think it depends. Well, the Leicester game is straight Monday. after the international break. Yeah, it's our first fixture. And is, are we expecting Czech to be back? I guess we are. Oh, good point. I mean, yeah, I would, I would think so. I would think so. Uh, yeah, I... What would you do? I think I keep Leno in. Just I think because, yeah, just because he's the future, isn't he? Yeah. He is the future. I, you know, I really like Petrček, and I think he's played very well. But I think if Leno comes in, takes his chance, plays well, he's twenty six. He's the club record signing as a goalkeeper. What does it do to him if we drop him? 
Yeah. Mm. I, I just don't... It's just difficult to find a justification to drop him. Mm. I, as good as Czech has been, I do wonder if, yeah, I would stick with Leno. Mm. I would stick with Leno. Because, you know, ultimately, I suppose if, if Leno does suddenly dip in form, you can bring Czech back in. Mm. You know, it's, it's not... Yeah. It's not a final, final decision. It's not as if Czech's had a howler and you've pulled him exactly, out of the team. Yeah. It's an injury. Yeah, he's lost his place through injury, but uh, yeah, exactly. And he's a safety net. He's now a safety net, which is quite mm. good. So, you know. Um, right, I have a question. Um, here it is. One second. It's from Tanner Osman, who's at one underscore Tanner Osman. There's only one Tanner Osman. Uh, he says, having seen the players, uh, how do you rate our incoming transfer business this summer? Better than you initially thought? Yeah. I'd, I mean, I touched on that in part one, but I do. It is better than I thought. And that's because there have been some real surprises. I mean, I had no idea that Matteo Gunduzi was going to play the kind of role he's played in the first two months of our season. Yeah. I thought there was a real chance we might not even have seen him start a game at this point you know maybe in the Carabao Cup something like that um, so that's of course a huge boost Socrates has been better than I anticipated mm-hmm. I'm intrigued that he didn't play against Fulham um, do you think that's because Emery is sort of managing him you know he is almost part of the Soda Stream generation James sure Socrates, sure you know uh, maybe <laughs> maybe yeah maybe he is managing him and thinking you know, Mustafi seems pretty resilient. He played a lot of football last season too, didn't he, Mustafi? He played a lot of the cup games, even when yeah. other players were rested. Um, and Holding has started four games in a row now. You know, I think mm. he's getting a good look at him. He's learning a lot about Holding. Emery. Do you think and he likes what he's seeing from Holding? If he's starting in four games in a row, yes. it appears to me I think he likes what he's seeing from Rob Holding. I think you are seeing that. And what is interesting is we are seeing relationships bloom in this Arsenal squad. We're seeing it between certain players. You know, we talked about Monreal and Awobi and we talked about uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette. But I think you're also seeing the manager um, building trust and faith and favour in certain players. And I think Iwobi is one of them. I think Holding is another. I think, funnily enough, I think Danny Welbeck is becoming one. Yeah, uh, you can see the manager kind of almost falling for certain players. You know, it is kind of a, a bromance thing. Yeah, and I think holding fits the bill really. I mean, his passing was uh, at times a little bit too risky. I thought against Fulham, he took a couple of unnecessary risks, but oh, yeah. he is a, a good ball player. You know, and he, he, I think he senses an opportunity and he's seizing it. So yeah, yeah, I, I've been impressed with holding coming back to the question uh, yeah I think Leno you know he's not committed at any howlers yet that we were warned about he's been the good shot stopper that we were promised Socrates we've talked about Torreira has been as good as we hoped he might be I think and Licksteiner he's been you know up and down but you know he's kind of been what we thought a kind of you know very experienced backup um, yeah. he doesn't look like a player who's going to come in and take Hector Bellerin's place. No. But I don't think that was ever particularly realistic at his age. No, I don't think so. And I think maybe Bellerin is responding perhaps part of what is making Hector Bellerin's performances uh, so good this season is the fact that there is actually genuine competition there. 
You know, you yeah. can't underestimate that as well. So, okay. And, and he may be learning things from Licksteiner yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of talk about how Licksteiner is a good guy in the training ground. So, mm. um, all right. Is it my question or your question? Uh, I think it's probably mine, but I am sort of out of mind, to be honest. You're, you're terrible. Okay. Um, all right. This one comes from the chief who's at macho underscore grande one. He says, if you could only go for one in January, which would you pick, centre back or winger? Ah, uh, great question. I would have said. Ah. I think I would have. I would have said winger. I think, but. Mm. The form of Alex Awobi has maybe maybe slightly reconsidered that. Um, centre back, arguably, we are getting a centre back potentially back in January, aren't we? In the form of Laurent Koscielny. Yeah. Uh, whatever kind of shape he's in, it's a very tricky one, you know. I think I'm going to say. Oh, I don't know actually. Uh, go on, say say. <laughs> go on, say one. Go on. I'm going to say centre-back. All right. I'm going to say centre-back. Because if you said to me, I can get you a really elite player in one of those two positions, yeah. you know, a top, top of the range, I would say centre-back. Because sooner or later, looking at the age of Koscielny, looking at the age of Socrates, looking at the age of Monreal to an extent, mm. we're going to need a top defender in his prime yeah. to carry this defence. Yeah. So yeah, I'd yeah, say yeah. that. Yeah, I would go with you on that I would agree with that and I'd also say that the reason part of the reason I would say that is because if you're talking about buying a winger uh, you've got to look at what Reese Nelson is doing he scored again for Hoffenheim today I saw that yeah, yeah. nice little finish from yeah. Nelson so you know he's a, he's a player who we've given a long term contract to who can play you would assume on the left or the right Mm. Uh, of of a front three or behind, you know, even maybe in a four four two. Who knows? But like, I think I would prefer to get a good centre back and plump for uh, Reese Nelson as our winger with potential. Sure, that's what I think. Yeah, I think. Um, but I mean, I've I've spoken of my love and admiration for Wilfred Zaha on this podcast before. You have. But I, I just think that, yeah, I think centre-back, we need a, a long-term solution there and it needs to be someone who's not, you know, a promising player, but someone who's ready to come in and be our starting centre-half for the next five years alongside Holding or mm. whoever else. Uh, okay, you obviously don't have any more questions. So this is another one from Brad Dennett, who's at Bradley underscore Dennett. He said, after Ramsey's goal, I ended up screaming, wooing, repeatedly due to the beauty of it all my girlfriend didn't know what no, what that noise meant and ran across the room thinking i was in mortal pain so what are some of the best reactions you've had to celebrating a goal can we just try and figure out what that noise was that was a celebration that sounded like mortal pain i don't know like, if you say to me woo i'd be like woo, Woo-hoo, what a but goal. to me that yeah. But that doesn't signify injury. Yeah, I mean, so the, like, how do you do a woo that's like... It's, it's like, like uh, <laughs> a woo! <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit like that Gary Neville goal noise. Do you remember that? <laughs> from Fernando Torres scoring in the new camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, my best goal scoring reactions... I don't know. I always think that very fondly to... 
do you remember was it in, oh, I can't remember it was at Highbury Ashley Cole's diving header in the Champions yeah. League yeah um, I was at Highbury I was in the upper tier of whichever end it was he scored that goal in I think it was the North Bank and I I was seat on the aisle aisle seat next to the steps and when he scored it I went on like a brilliant run down the steps that ended in me sort of nearly collapsing and <laughs> tripping over right and then falling over <laughs> to, into the lower tier so that's always one that stands out for me what about you? I like the ones where I scare the dog Sure, then you know it's a good goal or an important yeah. goal if the dog's scared. Yeah, exactly. He, the dog's lying there on the rug and I'm watching the match and then all of a sudden you go, and the dog because he thinks Does the dog ever join in the celebrations? Um, in, in what sense? Like, in the... <laughs> <laughs> Not in like a choreographed way, like the Roberto Di Matteo pose or anything like no, that. No, no, we don't have but, any dance moves worked out. Sure, sure, yeah. No, I just mean like, you know, if you get excited, does he get excited too? No, he kind of... Well, Archer, uh, because we've got two now, I don't sure. really know what the what Lana is like with football. Um Archer can get a bit stressed sometimes. He's quite a sensitive dog. And the last number of seasons under Arsene Wenger have left him not necessarily a fan of football, it has to be said. When football's mm. on, he's like, uh, I think I'm going to lie somewhere else in the house. You know? Right. Because yeah, you're going, yeah, yeah. ah, for fuck's sake. He's like, oh, stop, man. Stop. No, it's all good. Just relax. So... um, he doesn't really join in, no, but he has, like, from time to time, been scared out of his sleep by by goal celebrations. I can't remember right. doing anything else ludicrous or ridiculous, you know? <laughs> Not really. I mean, you know, no. I mean, he's a dog. I mean, does he aware... Is Archer aware of football? Is he like, oh, it's football time now? Does he know, have any sense of what's going on? Yeah, he knows the sound of football. Right, He right. definitely knows the sound of football. And he prefers to be out of the house when football is on. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't like competing for your attention. Well, it's not that. It's just there's the, there's the, there's the anger and the frustration. He doesn't deal with anger very well. He's like, oh, okay. don't. Uh, come on, guy. There's no need yeah, to be yeah. angry. Don't be angry. So, no, he he uh, he he gets woken up sometimes, but that's that's as far as it goes. That's as far as it goes. Okay, I've got one more. Go on. Let's do it. Ian Richardson. Who's that? Ian Rich LKN. He says, if you yourself, mm. I don't know why the yourself is in there. In it's fairness. not really necessary. Probably. It's not really, because yeah. if he said you, like who else would it be? Sure. I it's going to be us. Yeah. But if you, James, yourself, mm. if you could have scored any goal in Arsenal's history, what goal would it be and why? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a hell of a question. It man. is, isn't it? I think I would choose. Uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I, I find myself thinking not about the type of goal, but the occasion. Yeah, know, of course. So I think I'm going to go with the Vieira goal against Leicester that completed the unbeaten season. Well, you're a big glory hunter, you. I know. I just think that's <laughs> like, you know, it's a lovely goal for a start, but it's also just a sort of iconic emblematic moment uh so yeah i'm gonna say that okay what about you uh yeah that's a that's a good goal i mean i have to say having watched you play football i don't think you could have scored that goal no he finishes it with his right foot as well which is very <laughs> unlikely for me no chance at all yeah yeah, um, yeah. you're all left foot in fairness yes two left if foot. i'm if i'm anything if i'm anything <laughs> 
I'm all left foot. Uh, if for me, like you, it's an occasion. Um, it would be Alan Sunderland's goal in the 1979 FA Cup final. Yeah. I remember very distinctly as a kid playing football in the house. You know, you know the way none of us were ever allowed to play football in the house? Of course, because you break things. Yeah, you break things and things get smashed and it's loud and annoying. You can imagine imagine a child playing football all around your house now would be really, really annoying. So I apologize um, very belatedly to, to my parents. Well, my, my, my mom is, she was the one who got really uh, fed up with it and she's, she's gone a while. So, you know, what can you do? I can't make, I can't make up for it now. No, it's too late. It's too but it's late. Nice that you, it's a nice thought. It's a part. nice thought. But anyway, I used, we used to have a corridor because we lived in a hotel, right? My dad ran this hotel in Yorkshire okay. when I was a kid. It's a castle. You're like Jose Mourinho living in a hotel. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I had no choice. <laughs> he yeah. could easily go get a flat or an apartment or a house anywhere he, he just, wants. Yeah. He's got enough money to buy whatever he wants. He could he buy, buy his buy own hotel. castle. He could buy yeah, a exactly. hotel or a castle. But anyway, the hotel was a castle and we lived in this sort of apartment upstairs and there was a corridor and I used to repeatedly replicate the goals from the 1979 FA Cup final over and over again in a corridor. So you can imagine what that was like. I mean, to be fair, that goal was one that I considered suggesting myself and I was comfortably not alive when it was scored, but shows yeah. you, you know, quite the uh, the impact that it James, had. James, so. James, I was fucking, I was at the best soda stream parties you I ever you fucking were. heard when that. When <laughs> uh, the soda streams were flowing that night. Oh man, Studio Fifty Four soda stream parties, it was all on. But anyway, it was you know the thing about that goal was you needed a bit of width to recreate the goal because you know it was Liam Brady who took the ball from kickoff and, and drove down, played it to Graham Rick. Graham Ricks cross it to the back post for, for Alan Sunderland to put the ball in. Gary Bailey, Manchester United's goalkeeper, was nowhere. Nowhere. It takes some dexterity and skill, which I've never been able to show again in my footballing career, to replicate that goal. But that, that's the I one I think I would, I would choose. If it were me, Wembley, cup final day, hot day, sun shining... 100,000 people in Wembley Stadium, the old Wembley Stadium, the terraces, everything else. The two towers. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. I'd be well on for that. Yeah, that's a great shout. That's, that's a, a good shout, shout, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, well, that's what I myself would have scored, and you yourself, you would have scored. <laughs> you would have Let scored us know that. what you yourselves would have scored. You, yourself, and I. Um, right, well, look, we're going to leave it there because uh, that's kind of the end of it. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. And I hope you've enjoyed your Sunday watching Arsenal move into... Are we third or fourth? What did I say? Fourth. fourth we are. We're fourth. fourth. But moving ahead of Tottenham, that's always a good thing. Winning 5-1, always a good thing. It's... Yeah. Um, Five it's, points clear of Man U. Yeah. Always a good thing. Always a good thing. Oh, it looked like it would have been a much better weekend than it was, didn't it? Yes, but then maybe in the long run, this is for the best, you know. Do you, you think? Stay in the job, keep poisoning them. I don't know. I hope it doesn't provoke a, an upsurge in their form, but I'm not mm. massively anticipating it. No, me neither. Me neither. Anyway, look, we can't control the other results. We can only control what we do. Uh, as ever, thanks for listening. Give us a rating or review on iTunes. That would be great. And uh, we will catch you on the next one. Until then, take it Bye-bye. easy.
What? Ah. No, do no do by Oh Mike. no, we, we, we fucked it up. Is that Go the on, first? One, one. That's the first one in the the whole two hundred and fifty one episodes you fucked up. Okay, I thought you were leaving a gap. Right, we'll do it again. Okay, all right. Uh, take it easy, folks. Have a good one. Bye, bye, bye. Oh, oh, Jesus. Let's go while, okay, while we we'll can. Go. All right. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> this holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.